Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this day and this opportunity that we have to be here and to worship you. I pray, Lord, that you would block out all distractions from our minds, help us to focus on you and on your word, and I pray that you would teach us about you and how amazing you are. I pray this in your name. Amen. Growing up, my brother and I were always playing sports together, and one of the games that we liked to play most was basketball inside the house, inside the living room, and usually while we were watching sports on TV, we really liked sports. Um, So we had a little basketball that was made of plastic and a basketball hoop that sat in our living room, and we'd play all kinds of basketball games against each other in there. One day, we were playing each other, one of my shots hit off the rim of the basketball hoop and redirected right into one of my mom's decorations. Now, we'd knocked over uh, pictures and books and all kinds of things before, and my mom was always very gracious with us, but uh, this time was a little bit different. Uh, when that, what the basketball hit off of was one of her clay lighthouses, and when it hit, the whole top of the lighthouse broke off. So I knew immediately that I had made a very big mistake. My mom loved that lighthouse, and I knew that she was not going to be happy when I told her that I completely destroyed it. In that moment, when I knew that judgment was coming from my actions, I was very scared and anxious because I knew that she wasn't going to be happy when I told her what I had done. Now, this part isn't really a necessary part of the story, but as the younger brother, I feel like it's important to share that a couple years later, I found out that my brother had actually broken the lighthouse a couple days before that, and he placed the broken lighthouse back together so it looked like nothing had happened. So he conveniently failed to mention that to me as I sat there terrified of what mom was going to say when I thought that I'd been the one to break her lighthouse. But that feeling that I had when I knew that the consequences for my actions were about to come down on me was terrifying. But it was nothing compared to the feeling of the impending judgment of those who have not placed their faith in Christ and that which they'll experience on the final day of judgment. So with that in mind, read with me starting in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing in his kingdom, I give you this charge, preach the word. We've come to the last chapter of this letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, and Paul's very aware that his life is coming to an end. So he gives this final charge to Timothy to preach the word of God. And before he gets into the specifics of this instruction of preaching the word, Paul gives a stern reminder of why it is necessary that the word of God be preached saying that God will judge the living and the dead and reminding us that Christ will appear and usher in his kingdom. We see this in Matthew 25, and the words will be up on the screen, but it's a, it's a fairly long section, and I'll be skipping around some in the interest of time, so I'd encourage you guys to read the whole chapter on your own sometime this week. But starting in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So Christ has come, and he is on his throne with the nations gathered before him, and he separated the people out into sheep and goats. You've got the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. Continuing in verse 34, he says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And skipping down to verse 37, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. And finally, in verse 46, Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. 
This section is crazy to read because it shows the clear separation between those who are in Christ and those who are not, the sheep and the goats. For those who follow Christ, they are promised an inheritance of the kingdom that has been prepared for them since the creation of the world. They're promised eternal life. But for those who reject Christ, those who do not call upon him as their savior, they are sent into the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. They are sent into eternal punishment. And I know personally that I don't spend enough time thinking about the reality that one day God will judge every individual. And that those who have not accepted Christ as their savior will spend eternity in hell under God's righteous judgment. This is the reason that we need to be preaching the word. Through his sacrifice on the cross, Christ made salvation available to all men with the desire that all would be saved. And it's through the church, through believers, that this message of salvation is communicated to the word, to the world. Excuse me. Understanding that this final judgment is coming should be a reminder to us of the importance of preaching the word. Look back with me to our main text of 2 Timothy chapter 4 and read with me starting in verse 2. It says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Those who have placed their faith in Christ have a responsibility to preach the word. The word of the God is the word of God is the Bible, and we are to be faithful to preach everything that is included within the Bible. We are to preach the gospel to those who believe and to preach words of sanctification to those who do believe. Paul calls on us here in verse 2 to be prepared to preach this gospel. To be prepared requires that we work ahead of time so that when the moment comes to preach the gospel, we are ready and we are confident. My favorite sport is football. And while a casual observer of the game would probably say that football is just a bunch of people running around and hitting each other, um, there's actually a lot of tactics and preparation that goes into every play. A game of football is only 60 minutes long, but during the week before a game, players spend between 20 and 30 hours watching film of their upcoming opponents so they can learn about their habits and be prepared for anything that they'll do. In addition to that, they have practices each day as well as physical conditioning and rehab. They put in an immense amount of work ahead of time so that when the game starts, they're fully prepared for anything that could happen. And we need to take that same approach to preaching the gospel. It's important to study the Bible daily so that we can know about God. It's important to have a good biblical understanding of the gospel so that we can be confident in what we are preaching. Grounding the words that we preach to others in the Bible will also protect us from misleading anyone by saying something that is not in line with scripture. And it's important that we are praying. Communicating to God is an essential part of our relationship with him. And part of that communication is praying for those whom we will be sharing with and praying that God will open their hearts to the gospel. We need to take the time to be prepared to preach the gospel, and this helps us to be prepared to preach both in season and out of season. John MacArthur communicates the importance of this in his commentary of 2 Timothy when he states, The faithful preacher must proclaim the word when it is popular and or convenient and when it is not, when it seems suitable to do so and when it seems not. If we truly believe that Christ will return and that he will judge all men, then we need to be willing to share his truth regardless of our situation. I have a friend who told me this story. Uh, one day he was on his way to work and he saw this man pushing this, his truck down the road. And this was a road that didn't have a shoulder, so he was right in the middle of traffic when his truck broke down. My friend made a U-turn. He went back to where that man was with his truck and immediately started helping him push the truck. And when they got the truck out of traffic and onto a side road to a safe spot, my friend stopped 
and he invited the man and his family that were inside the truck to church, and he briefly shared with them about Jesus. That wasn't a convenient time for him. He had to explain to his boss while he was late that morning, and he also put himself in some danger by pushing that truck down the middle of the road. But he was willing to set those fears aside and take time to serve someone and share Christ with them. Taking time to share the gospel with those around us isn't always going to be convenient, and it isn't usually going to be convenient. But we need to be willing and prepared to share God's truth at all times. And that's the heart of what Paul means by using this phrase, in season and out of season. Read verse 2 with me again. It says, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. The other part of preaching God's word is sharing the words of correction, rebuke, and encouragement to those who are followers of Christ. These are words that sanctify. As we seek to follow Christ, there will be times when we mess up, times when we do not reflect the love of Christ, when we do not follow God's commands perfectly. And in those times, we need Christian brothers and sisters to share God's word with us so that our sinful behavior can be rebuked, so that our actions can be corrected, and so that we can be encouraged with the love and forgiveness that we have in Christ. A rebuke is a strong warning. In a biblical sense, a rebuke is used to warn someone that they are living in sin. That strong warning is given with the goal that they will repent of that sinful behavior. We don't rebuke for the sake of embarrassing or shaming someone, but it's always done for the purpose of warning someone of the consequences of their sinful behaviors with the hope that they will repent. Following that rebuke is correction. When we've sinned and when there are sinful attitudes and behaviors in our lives, those need to be corrected. The rebuke warns of the sin that is present, and the correction helps us to get our lives pointed back in the direction of Christ. Our response to the rebuke is to repent of our sin, and then we know where we are to go from there. The correction does that by showing us the right way that God desires for us to live. And then when the sin has been rebuked and corrected, there should be encouragement. This encouragement is that of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, which says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's important for us to remember God's forgiveness in times when we fail. And when there is, where there is repentance from sin, there is forgiveness. We should be quick to encourage those who fall short of the commands of God that if they repent, they will be forgiven. God gives us an example of this process through Nathan in 2 Samuel chapter 12. We'll have a couple verses up on the screen, but again, I'd encourage you to read the whole chapter at some point during this week. We're hopping into the middle of the story, um, so there's a lot that's happened prior to this, but it's the story of David and Bathsheba. David wanted Bathsheba for himself, but she was already married. Despite this, David slept with her, and he had her husband Uriah sent to the front lines of battle to be killed. He stole Uriah's wife and then had him murdered. And as a result of David's affair with Uriah's wife, Bathsheba became pregnant and gave birth to a child. That's where we are as we go into 2 Samuel chapter 12. Nathan then went to David and delivered God's, delivered God's rebuke to him. Nathan told David of the evil that David had done, and he recounted it all to him. And in verse 9, as you can see on the screen, he said, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? He confronted David's sin, and he rebuked him by declaring that his actions were evil. And then he corrected David's behavior by reminding him of the word of the Lord, which was a reminder to David of God's instructions for how his people must live. And in verse 13, we can see how David responded. Verse 13 says, Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. 
David acknowledged his sin. He acknowledged his failure to keep God's commands. And verse 13 continues saying, Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Nathan rebuked David's sin. He reminded David of the way that he was supposed to live. And here he provided David with an encouragement that God is faithful to forgive those who acknowledge and repent of their sin and turn to him. Rebuke, correction, and encouragement are important parts of what it means to preach the word of God to others when there is sin in their lives. And they are important for us to preach to ourselves when we notice sin in our own lives. Paul adds an important condition to these instructions at the end of verse 2 where he says, with great patience and careful instruction. When we preach the word of God to others, whether it be the gospel to an unbeliever or words of rebuke, correction, and encouragement to those who follow Christ, we must do so with great patience and careful instruction. It can be discouraging to share the words of rebuke, correction, and encouragement with those around us only to see them fall back into sinful behaviors or not be able to come to an understanding of the teachings of Christ. And Jesus often experienced this with his disciples. He often spoke in parables and his disciples didn't understand his teachings, but he took the time to explain it to them. He didn't give up on them because they weren't grasping it quick enough. He showed patience. Each of us have things that take time for us to understand, and none of us has been sinless since the day that we accepted Christ. Yet God remains patient with us. And it's for that reason that we need to be patient with those around us, because God is patient with us. Being patient and remaining consistent in the lives of those whom we invest in is essential to their spiritual growth. If we remain patient and present in their lives, we can be there to remind them of the teachings of Christ in their times of weakness and to encourage them to continue living for Christ in their times of strength. Read with me starting in verse 3. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. Just as false teachers rise up and seek to deceive those who follow Christ, there will be those who are weak in their faith, who do not seek the truth. These people surround themselves with teachers who proclaim exactly what they desire to hear. A few years ago, I was having a conversation with a couple people about a heretical book that had been released. And in this book, the author proclaimed that a loving God would not send people to hell. This teaching is a clear contradiction to the teachings of Jesus and to the Bible. Yet, these people that I was discussing with, who would call themselves Christians, said that they liked what the book had to say and that they thought it was a good thing to think about. We're all tempted to find teachers that justify our sin and justify our sinful beliefs. That temptation is one that seeks to convince us that we are fine without God and that we can, apart from the Bible, redefine what following Christ means. We need to be on our guard against this. Truth is not defined by what we like or what sounds good to us or what culture says is right. Truth is defined by the word of God. And that is why we must be careful to surround ourselves with those who teach the truth of the Bible, not just what we want to hear. And Paul encourages us with that in verse 5 as he calls on Timothy to remain faithful to teaching the truth of the Bible in all situations. Read with me in verse 6. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. 
I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. In verse 6, Paul says that he is already being poured out like a drink offering. And a drink offering was the last offering that followed the burnt and great offerings in the Old Testament sacrificial system. And it being the last one is very important here. As one theologian states, Paul saw his coming death as his final offering to God in a life that had already been full of sacrifices to him. Paul understood that his life was close to its end, and by making this comparison to a drink offering, he was expressing his continued commitment to Christ, even in his death. In chapter 3 last week, we saw Paul encouraging us to follow his example and his way of life, and here in his death, we should also follow his example. Paul proclaims three phrases here in self-reflection as he looks forward to his coming death. He says, firstly, that he has fought the good fight. He's confident that all he has lived for has been worth it. He does not regret living his life for Christ, but declares that for living for Christ is the good fight. It is the right way to live, and he does not regret it. He then says that he has finished the race and that he has kept the faith. We talked in chapter 3 about the importance of continuing in our faith until the end of our lives. And Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 expresses this as well saying, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Paul ran his race with perseverance. Through trials and temptations, he remained faithful to God. He did not grow weary, and he did not lose heart. He kept his faith until the end. And the goal for each one of us that follow Christ is that we can say the exact same thing at the end of our lives. We want to be able to say that we fought the good fight by living our lives for Christ, and that we finished the race, and that we kept the faith by holding firm to Jesus as our Savior throughout the entirety of our lives. Paul continues in verse 8 to say, Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. If we finish the race, holding firm to Christ as our Savior, then there will be a crown of righteousness for us. It's guaranteed. We will not have to fear the day of judgment because that will be the day that Jesus gives us the crown of righteousness that he earned by sacrificing his life on the cross for us. And here in verse 8, we are promised that the crown will be ours too if we also finish the race. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and how encouraging it is. I thank you that, that our faith is secure that we can be confident in your promises, God. And I pray for anyone here who may not know you, God. I pray that today would be the day that they would make you their Lord. And I pray for those who are in you, God. I pray that you would give us strength and perseverance to finish out our race for you in the same way that Paul did, diligently and faithfully. I pray all this in your name. Amen.